Welcome to episode 222 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we are looking at what became the series finale of the original run of the series, The Truth. Sometimes listed as parts 1 and 2 because it was split into two for syndication, but in the original broadcast and in the Blu-ray collections, it is a single, double-length episode. The original air date was May 19th of 2002. The average IMDb user score is 8.5 out of 10. And the action is split between Virginia, Washington, D.C., and New Mexico for most of the episode. The pre-credits teaser begins with Mulder infiltrating the Mount Weather installation. And he manages to escape from the group, gets down to a computer mainframe, connects to it, and finds a date, December 22nd, 2012. Alarms go off, he is discovered, and before he can escape, Noel Rohr throws him through the giant transparent TV screen. As any other teacher who's got experience teaching off overheads will tell you, these clear glass things that look really cool in futuristic tech and on Star Trek are really hard to read. They are never going to be the standard. But anyway... Noel Rohr throws him through one so easily that he recognizes Rohr as a super soldier and tries to escape, is helped in his escape, apparently, by Alex Krychek. As he's going, he drops Rohr onto some electrical cables where he is electrocuted in front of several witnesses, and he's eventually arrested at gunpoint. After attempts to condition him to plead guilty and accept his sentence, he is finally allowed to see Scully and Skinner, and that's where things go through. He's put into a kangaroo court or a drumhead court. It's a facade. He, Kirsch is told from the outset by the military leaders, I want a guilty verdict. You can use your lawyers, you can use your judges, but it's happening in my court. Kirsch questions the legality, but it happens. It is a military court, so some of the usual rules do not apply. For example, there will be no record of it. And what we get are a parade of many, but not all, of the vital characters and guest stars from the past. I would say the most notable omission is Jerry Harden. I'm not sure why he wasn't included outside of archive footage. He was still working at the time. There may have been schedule conflicts or something along those lines. But we see the ghosts of... Deep Throat, who is played by Jerry Harden's replacement, Mr. X, played by Stephen Williams here. We see the ghost of Crycheck here. The witnesses that are called to testify on Mulder's behalf include Gibson Praise, Marita Covarrubias. So after some fairly action-packed opening sequences, ending with what should have been the death of Noel Rohr, we get into our courtroom drama, a lot of which is an expositional summary of the series to date. In the first viewing, I actually found that part dragged, but some of that could be because I was spending time every single day in the X-Files newsgroups talking with other fans and X-Files, trying to interpret and deduce and figure it all out, and we had sorted out this exact solution. None of it came as a surprise. Rewatching it without that, when it's just my wife and I going through the episodes for the sake of this podcast, it did work better for me. I could see why that piece was a little more necessary for the casual viewers who weren't going through 
and making sure they never missed an episode and going through with other fans. If they were just doing it more casually, it was more important. As we go through the courtroom scene and get out of that, Mulder and Scully escape. Mulder is actually sentenced to death by lethal injection because that was a foregone conclusion. And when Mulder and Scully escape with the help of Doggett, Reyes, Skinner, Gibson Praise, and surprisingly Kirsch, who has changed his mind about things. They don't follow Kirsch's advice to get first to Canada and then to an airport to get off the continent within 24 hours. They go to New Mexico. And it's in New Mexico that they find the keeper of the truth, a wise man who's living in the ruins, who turns out to be the cigarette-smoking man. And he's the one who reveals the colonization date to Scully that Mulder would not share even though they said that could have saved him in the court, although I don't know why they would have accepted that when they weren't accepting any of the other testimony, because again, he had no concrete proof. They managed to escape there before some helicopters come and blow them all up. We see very clearly the flesh being burned, leaving nothing but a skull behind. So when the cigarette-smoking man died this time, they wanted to make it absolutely and undeniably clear that he really and truly was dead. So, he is done with the series. Obviously, right? And Mulder and Scully end up on the run. Mulder has been convicted of killing Noel Rohr. Noel Rohr actually does die in this episode, pursuing Doggett and Reyes in those same pueblos as Doggett and Reyes get close enough to the magnetite to affect him. Doesn't look like they had it planned, but it worked. And Doggett and Reyes are the ones who are now tasked with protecting Gibson Preys. So as an ending, it is an entertaining ending. I don't know if everyone is happy with the fact that it ends with Mulder and Scully as fugitives on the run, and they don't get that vindication. The court will not even hear it when Scully comes in with proof that the corpse that supposedly belongs to Noel Rohr cannot possibly be Noel Rohr, since he was a victim who died of a broken neck and was electrocuted post-mortem. There's just a lot of things about this that are very satisfying, some that are not. I want to call out one particularly satisfying moment, possibly my favorite moment of the episode, is when Agent Reyes finally gets her moment and her piece and really shows us who she is. When she is giving her testimony, she loses her temper and gives a very passionate speech to the prosecuting attorney as well as the judges. So this episode was directed by Kim Manners. This is his final directing credit for the X-Files. He would be one of many X-Files production crew alumni who would move on to work on Supernatural. And he worked on Supernatural right up to the end. He directed, well, at least five, or produced at least five episodes that came out in 2009 and directed some episodes that came out in 2008. He passed away of lung cancer in January of 2009 at age 58. Chris Carter wrote the episode, which is completely appropriate. Now this was almost his last writing credit for The X-Files, but the project came back to life on a number of occasions, one of which includes the movie that we're going to be discussing in our, well not the next, but in another podcast in the very near future. David Duchovny returns to play Fox Mulder. He will be seen 
in the role again. Not that any of them knew it at the time this was filmed. He had left the series and had said that he would consider coming back for the series finale, but not before. And even then, it wasn't a guarantee, but it did work out. There's even a moment here where he makes a Silence of the Lambs reference when he jokes about, you know, I can smell you coming, Clarice, quoting Hannibal Lecter. This was actually an inside joke since in the previous year, Gillian Anderson had tried out to play Clarice Starling in the 2001 Hannibal film, which is the Silence of the Lambs prequel. She would have been cast in the role, except Fox pointed out that her contract prohibited her from playing any other FBI agent while she was playing Agent Dana Scully or for a certain period of time after. So unfortunately, she was not able to fulfill that role. We will see her again in episodes of The X-Files as the show comes back, as well as episodes of other shows. And we've discussed Robert Patrick many times. For seasons eight and nine, he has been playing John Doggett, who is actually my favorite of the agents that we've seen. And unfortunately, this is his 40th and final appearance as John Doggett in The X-Files. Annabeth Gish appears again as Monica Reyes. This is her 23rd appearance as Monica Reyes. This is not her final appearance. So I will leave some of that till later. And Mitch Pileggi plays Skinner in this one. He will be returning as well when the series returns. William B. Davis did return for this. And in spite of the rather definitive death, he will also be appearing in future episodes of the series. Nick Lee makes his 24th appearance on The X-Files, his 23rd as Alex Krychek. This is actually his final appearance in the series. And even here, you could argue that he doesn't actually appear as Krychek, but rather as a figment of Mulder's imaginations, depending on how you interpret Mulder's final speech. When he says he believes that we can see and hear the dead, is he actually able to see and hear the dead, or has he kind of finally gone completely over the edge. Now, James Pickens Jr. returns as Alvin Kirsch. This is his 19th appearance as the character, or actually his 18th appearance as the character. He also appeared as Jamaican crewman in Triangle, and he will be seen again when the series returns. Laurie Holden makes her 10th and final appearance as Marita Kuvarubius in this episode, she does also voice the character in the PlayStation 2 game X-Files Resistor Serve. Matthew Glaive makes his first and only appearance in the X-Files as Special Agent Kallenbrunner. He is the prosecuting attorney here. He is best known for his work in The Wedding Singer, Argo, Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, and Angie Tribeca. He is active today with two completed works in post-production, and 123 credits and counting on the IMDb. We've discussed Jelf Gulka before, of course. This is his final appearance as Gibson Prays, in his five appearances in The X-Files. Now, his work has continued since we last spoke of him. He's since appeared in Are You Afraid of the Dark and Van Helsing, the TV adaptations of both. Now, Chris Owens is credited here as Chris Bradley Owens, he appears as Jeffrey Spender. It is not his final appearance on the X-Files either. Stephen Williams makes his 14th and final appearance as Mr. X, 
or possibly just the ghost of Mr. X. Tom Braidwood appears as Melvin Frohickey once more, not his final appearance. Similarly, this is not Dean Haglund's final appearance as Langley, or the ghost of Langley, nor is it Bruce Harward's final appearance as Byers or the ghost of Byers. This is Adam Baldwin's final appearance as Noel Rohr, although he would very shortly go on to play Jane Cobb in Firefly, and then continue from there to play John Casey in Chuck. John Casey returns as the Toothpick Man. He was previously seen in Providence and Providence, pulling the strings of Alvin Kirsch. Here he is one of the five judges, and the one that Gibson Praise calls out saying he is an alien while he is on the stand. Cody Lightning makes his only X-Files appearance here as, well, credited as the Indian boy, although it's probably preferable to refer to him as the Native American boy. He was actually born in my hometown of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, where I still live today. He's got 30 acting credits to his name at the time of this recording in 2020, the most recent is 2018, and he is still working, or he's best known for Four Sheets to the Wind, Brick, Smoke Signals, and a recurring role in Walker, Texas Ranger. Christopher Stapleton appears here as guard number one. We discussed his career when he played Pilot in Dreamland 1 and 2, most likely as a distinct character here, but not necessarily. Patrick St. Esprit has 118 acting credits to his name, right up to and including this year. He is still active today. He plays guard number two in this episode. This is his only X-Files appearance. He is best known for his work in Hunger Games Catching Fire, Green Zone, Draft Day, and We Were Soldiers. Julia Vera plays the woman who is helping the cigarette smoking man. She is also still active today with 108 credits to her name. Best known for her work in Speed, Ant-Man and the Wasp, The Net, and Man on Fire. William Devane plays General Mark Suveg. He is the general who is insisting on the guilty verdict. This is his only X-Files appearance, but he's got 125 credits to his name, most recently from 2016. He is best known for his work in Knott's Landing, Payback, Space Cowboys, and Interstellar. Now, the last credited work that he's got was released when he was 77 years old, so he may have made the choice to retire. I am... Not sure about that. I just know that's when his last epi- or his last credited work came out. Finally, John Eric Bentley plays the Post Guard in his only X-Files appearance. He is best known for his work in Resident Evil Extinction, Hotel Artemis, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, and Independence Day Resurrection, and is still active today. I actually know him best as the voice of Barrett Wallace in the Final Fantasy VII Remake for PlayStation 4. So this was the original conclusion to the series. It acknowledged the existence of the super soldiers and let us know that our heroes would still be fighting against the invasion, but didn't wrap that plot thread up. And leaving that open was intentional. Chris Carter's plan was to come back and continue doing movies. And Fox was open to that. The first film didn't perform quite to their expectations. They were hoping for an official blockbuster hitting that 100 million mark. Instead, it just hit the high 90s. So it was profitable, just not quite as profitable as they'd hoped. 
so they were definitely open to revisiting the concept down the road. And we will be discussing that in a couple weeks' time. Next week, we will do our usual full season wrap-up as we go through and summarize Season 9, talk about the strengths, the weaknesses, what we saw. And then the week after that, we will get into the second film, The X-Files, I Want to Believe. Thank you for listening.